Let's turn again today to the book of Ruth, chapter 3. While you're turning there, I have a, an engagement announcement from Brother Jared Garvin and Sister Leah Lawson, which have got engaged, and the wedding time will be announced sometime later. Certainly want to pray for them, pray God's blessings on their, their engagement and their union together. You know, life goes on, doesn't it? We've had so many in the last couple of years to pass away, and uh, it's amazing because I've seen it. I would have a funeral and have a birth in the church the same day, or have two or three funerals within two or three uh, weeks' period of time and have a baby or an engagement announcement or a wedding announcement or something, and you think, this is the way life is. But I'm so grateful that I believe we are the last generation that this pattern will continue on the way that it's been for thousands and thousands of years. The cycle will be broken, I believe, with our generation. We're happy for them, aren't we? Folks getting married and folks having babies. And <clears throat> Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall not I seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. I'd be like to be remembered today as we approach the Lord in prayer. God bless you. Hold your needs, your requests in your heart. Lord Jesus, we thank you once again for this privilege that we can gather together. Lord, our, our hearts are still thinking about the service we had your last Sunday and how wonderful your presence was. It was so awesome. People just didn't even want to go wanted to stay around and sense your great presence. And Lord, we thank you for that. And we're grateful today, Lord, that you're just as mindful of us today as you were last week. So here we are again with another service, and we have different needs and different requests that we're bringing before you. Father, we have this spiritual sustenance that we need from you today. And we Thank you, Lord, that you provided for us a message in the last day that would get us prepared for a body change. We're asking you today, Father, that you would help us. Help me to get out of the way. Lord, you see this prayer cloth that I have in my hand for this Sister McGraw, Lord, in her stomach situation. We agree together in the name of Jesus for our sister that you'd bring healing. Other requests and desires and petitions were signified by the lifting of hands today. We pray that you just minister to every heart and every need in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Approach is such an important thing to God. Whether we're approaching God or approaching his servants, it's a very important thing. If you haven't listened to the tape, Respects, 1961, 
in a while if you're wanting something to listen to. I've been going through it for the last uh, several weeks. Um, I find that with, even with natural people, people who hold a position, that there's a right way to be able to approach them and a wrong way. And truly God is no different. Certainly the supreme ruler of the universe would desire to be approached a certain way. It's sad that the further we go <clears throat> into time, the more that people feel like they can just choose their own approach. They really don't care what God says, what God wants, what God desires, but they just self-diagnose and they think, well, this is what I'm going to give to God. If God don't like it. He can lump it, as we used to say, and God don't really want it, then that's fine. I'll just live for the devil. But we know that's not the way the elect of God think. And Ruth was a beautiful type, being a Gentile especially, of the bride of Christ. And how that she herself, no doubt, was very unfamiliar with the things of what she's being instructed by her mother-in-law, Naomi. Just as we were. I, I loved God whenever I was a little boy and gave my heart to him whenever I was a wee fellow, as many of you have. But I didn't understand the approach to God. And first of all, I didn't even know how many gods there were. So I was Trinitarian. So I'd pray to the Father, then I'd pray to the Son, then I'd pray to the Holy Ghost, and then I'd go back again. If I prayed very long, I'd get very confused about which one I'd talk to last. Now, you may laugh at that, but I was as sincere as I am today but I was as sincerely wrong as I could be. So instead of approaching a true and a living God, I was approaching it through a heathen idea that God was actually three people. Truly, it was his mercy to me. All of those years, whenever they baptized me, uh, whenever I was a 12-year-old boy, and they had to break water, uh, because it was frozen, it was in January, and I gave my heart to the Lord, and they had to break the ice and lead out. The preacher had to lead out, and I followed out with him. And I was baptized in titles. I didn't know any different. That's all I knew. But I was as sincere as I could be. Amen. I loved God with all of my heart. But yet, my approach to him was so wrong. And my sincerity did not make you know, up for the lack of my understanding and my ignorance. Now, people can be ever so sincere, but it still doesn't mean that it's acceptable. And I'm grateful that God has, in times past, winked at our ignorance, aren't you? We'd all been a mess today if he hadn't. But we know that it's so different for those who approach him once they've been enlightened to truth. Now, a sinner could come in this place today and have the smell of marijuana on, on their clothes, maybe have the smell of alcohol on their breasts, and I would do everything within my power to pray for that individual, would you not? And I believe the Lord would accept them on that basis. They're a drunk, they're a drug addict, or whatever more, and they would come to God and say, well, I heard that God's a Savior, and I want Him to save me. I believe the Lord would save them. 
I believe the Lord would do something for them. But if that same individual started coming to church here, and they went here two years, three years, four years, five years, and they continually kept approaching God with alcohol on their breasts, and they continually smelt like marijuana or this or that or the other, I don't care how much they say that they love God. I don't care how much they say that God hears their prayers. There's something wrong with that individual. They've never grown from the time that they embraced the cross of Christ until where they are in their walk today. And that's the sad part about Laodicea. Because Laodicea wants to embrace the cross of Christ, which is the beginning of salvation but they do not want to embrace their own cross. Now this is what differentiates one of the main things, of course, is with the understanding and belief of the bride message. It's because we thank God for the cross of Christ. That is the beginning of our salvation, our restitution, our reconciliation, our justification, our peace before God. But it is not the cross of Christ that determines discipleship, it is your cross. Oh, you don't believe that, huh? Well, I'll read it to you shortly. Now, you see, many still want to approach the Lord Jesus as they did when he first started dealing with the heart. And Ruth, if she would have taken this approach that, you know what, Naomi, I don't like you telling me what to do. I think you're just a bossy old woman. And I don't like you prying in my life. Now, it was enough for me to come over here with you, and I I, I bore this reproach, married your son, now he's dead. You're talking about the blessing of God. Boy, don't look like to me, you've got much blessing of God on your life. Your husband's dead. Both of your boys are dead. And the house we've come back to looks down like a run-down shack. And you are going to try to tell me how to approach God. But Ruth was not a Laodicean. Ruth was elect. Now, even though we might be in the time frame of Laodicean, there ain't none of the bride filled with the Holy Ghost that identifies as Laodicean. Because Laodiceans are blind, wretched, naked, miserable, and don't know it. That don't describe us. So Ruth is being instructed by one that seems like lacks understanding herself. But she did give credit to this woman that she knew more about God than she did. Well, I'll tell you one thing, if you can find people that'll do that in this day, you've already found something. Because it's a, a, an amazing thing, the pride and arrogance that has so elevated itself, and I hate to say it, but it's around the message as well as any other move. But people tend to think once they find out a little bit about God that they no longer need any further instruction. I hope we don't never get to that place. Because we're winding ourselves away from the very program of God. Remember there was only one know-it-all. But when he come, he didn't act like he knew it all. As a matter of fact, he so humbled himself that they looked right at God 
and thought he was a pauper. They looked right at God in humanity and thought he was a beggar. Why? He didn't have a know-it-all attitude, and yet he knew it all. Now, notice then there's five aspects as we've been looking at that Ruth was told to be able to approach this husband-to-be. And first, of course, was that she washed herself. Then she anointed herself. And then next, notice here in Ruth chapter 3, verse 3, wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee and get down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he have done eating and drinking. So Ruth's third act of preparation is to be able to have on a change of clothes. Now what Naomi wants to happen is of course that she will be able to enter into a new state. The state that Ruth is in now is the state of widowhood. And with widowhood, there are certain clothes that were very fitting for a widow. So you would look and see, and you would know exactly who she was. But she knows this is not the appropriate attire for her to go in on the prospects of getting married. So she wants her to take off her clothes of widowhood and put on clothes that are more potential for a bride to be. Now I realize we're living in a time when people think clothes don't really matter. They don't think that whether you go to church or go to church, don't go to church, uh, even what you wear to church doesn't really matter. So they wear just whatever. Even preachers get in the pulpit with sneakers on and t-shirts and you know they got this modern look about it and it's shameful really. It's a disgrace to the position they hold. Now just so you know, I don't like suits. Okay, let's just resolve this today. I don't like suits. I'm not comfortable in suits. I hate ties. I hate dress shirts. I hate dress shoes. You tell me God ain't got a sense of humor? I'm most comfortable in a pair of Skechers, Levi's, and a t-shirt. But yet, that's not befitting of the office that I hold. Praise the Lord. So I believe that there is a certain way that I must look as I approach the people of God. Not only you, but God himself. And Ruth knows, now this woman, I don't understand why she's telling me this and that and the other. And not only is there a divine protocol, but there is a way by which it must happen. Now, she is not giving her a numerical order and then expects her to take that numerical order and jumble it up in the way she wants. Well, you can take and do item five if you want to first, or you can do three first and then jump to one, but she's giving her a divine order by which she wanted it carried out. And we know that there's a divine order for the new birth. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost after repentance. Is that right? Now, notice what she's going to do is change her clothes. Now, we'll read several places here, but let us start in the book of Exodus where God is going to have a Levitical priesthood. And they are going to be the ones that will have the divine approach into the presence of God. They will come into the outer court. They will do certain things in the outer court. They will move into the second holy place. And then they move into the inner sanctum. 
or the holiest of holies. Now they cannot come at their own leisure. They cannot come with whatever they choose to wear. God designated for them certain clothes. This was not an option. It was a requirement. If they tried to enter into the presence of God without the proper attire, they died at the door. As a matter of fact, they would tie a rope around these priests. They would also put a pomegranate and a bell at the bottom of their garment. And they were in there sacrificing, waving the offering, doing the incense, and they could hear that they were alive and well. That's one way they knew you was okay in the house of God. In the Old Testament, you was making noise. Well, praise the Lord. So if there wasn't no noise going on, they reached in there and grabbed a hold of you and drug you out and put somebody in there that was alive. Well, maybe we ought to do that sometimes in the pulpit, you reckon? But they knew as long as the noise was going on, so it was a pomegranate and a bell, a pomegranate and a bell, all around the border of their garment, which was bordered with blue, which was a heavenly color. They had this, what the Bible calls a riband of blue. Now to us, this makes no sense at all. It doesn't matter what makes sense or not. God didn't ask them if it made sense. God said, this is what I want you to do. This is the way to divine approach. This is my protocol. Notice in Exodus 28, 1. Thou shalt take unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may be minister unto me in the priest's office. Even Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt speak unto all the wise, uh, that are wise hearted whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate them that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And these are the garments. Now notice how particular that God is. How many believes that God is unchanging? Well Malachi 3, 1 said I'm God and I change not. So God's nature is not changing. Well no matter how much the world thinks that he's changed. Somehow I think the the people saying that God got saved in the New Testament. Oh, God wasn't lost. It was us. It wasn't God that changed his way. Notice all this that God lays out now by divine order. Thou shalt make a breastplate, an ephod, and a robe, and a broidered coat, a miter, and a girdle, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons that he may minister to me in the priest's office. And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. Well, what if they said, you know what? I really don't care for those colors. What about if we used, um, I say, light blue? Or what if we say we use green instead? I mean, green is one of my favorite colors. God's not making green for you. God's not making these clothes for you. God is the one designating the colors. Now you realize a lot of the Laodiceans would have been dead as a hammer because they wouldn't even done what God said because it's a rebellious, stubborn age. So they would have just went in there and picked out whatever they had. Well, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I'm mixing green with purple and yellow and, you know, fuchsia and whatever more. And that's what I'm gonna do for God. Well, God would not have accepted it then. And guess what? God don't accept it now. 
and they shall make the ephod. Now notice, so here they get the different colors designated by God, and they get different metallurgical things, which is the metal aspect of it, and God designates which piece is made out of gold, which piece is made out of blue. So once they get the colors, and God tells them the colors to get, then they don't say any, many, many, mo. which one should I go? I like blue and you like pink, so which one do you think? No, it was not up to them. It was up to God. Now, I'm, I'm doing this so you will be able to see that our God is unchanging in his nature. Right. Notice, and they shall make the ephod of gold and blue. Well, why not silver and scarlet? Because God said gold and blue. That's why. It's just simple enough, is it not? And of purple and of scarlet and of fine twine linen with cunning work. Now, cunning work is that which is interwoven. So they're taking and they've got people that are very talented and they're taking and they're mixing all these threads and now the people are bringing the offerings and then they bring it to the people that have an ability to be able to blend all this together. So they're spinning, they're scarlet, the purple and the blue, and then they would also take part of this and they would make fine threads out of gold. And they would wove these things together and they would be interwoven where all of these colors would come together and it would make a rainbow of colors reflecting God's choice. Now the people would look at it and say, well, I don't understand what that means. I don't know why God wanted that, but God wanted it, so we're going to do it. Anybody here today left that still wants to do what God says? Whether you understand it or whether you don't, Brother Tom, it don't really matter whether I understand it or not, do you? Notice this, and it shall have two shoulder pieces thereof joined at the two edges thereof, and so shall it be joined together. And the curious girdle of the ephod, which is upon it, shall be of the same according to the work thereof, even of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen. Now notice we get the introduction of something else now that was not in the other, and that is fine twine linen. You see, God wants to find a people that will obey him whether they understand it or not. And they just simply take God's word for it and they trust him. Amen. You know, salvation is also pictured in the prophetic symbol from the Old Testament as a change of clothes. Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty of the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Now remember, this is the messianic prophecy of the Lord Jesus, verse one. And verse two is a division there between verse one and two. Verse one was at his first advent. Verse two is at the advent in the last day. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, which is the year of Jubilee, and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all that mourn. Now this is what he's going to do. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise. 
So here Isaiah is speaking, of course, twofold of the children of Israel and also speaking of those that receive the salvation by the blood of the Lord Jesus. And it is likened to them changing their garments. So salvation itself is a change of garment, and likely so, because in us is a fallen, unregenerate nature. And it's born into this world, conceived in iniquity, shaped in the darkness of our mother's womb. We come to the world speaking lies. And then we are clothed with this as a human being and before long we start lying, start doing things that are wrong and the Spirit of God has to change us from within. So the clothes that the Spirit of God clothes us with in Isaiah 61.3 is a change from the inside. But if it is a real change from the inside, it will show itself also on the outside. Notice verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. So after you get saved, guess what? You're going to have clothes that match the work of God. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride. Wow, isn't this amazing now? So we're talking about salvation and an element of people that receive it to such a degree that they are likened to a bride and he's likened to a bridegroom. So notice this is not everybody that gets saved now, but it's those that are truly his disciples. You're not known to be a disciple because you get saved. You're not known to be a disciple because you even get baptized. But Jesus identified discipleship with you carrying your cross. I've said it to you before that actually the Lord Jesus speaks more about our cross than he did his own. But of course, we like to talk about his more than we do ours because his made him suffer. And ours makes us suffer. And we don't like that, do we? Notice in Zechariah 3.3, again, a symbol from the Old Testament. Now, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, and he stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with the change of raiment. Now, remember in this setting, Satan has withstood Joshua of the high priest and he's actually accusing him because he's standing there with a spiritual symbol and he has on dirty filthy clothes so he knows that his approach will not be accepted unto God and Joshua himself is silent notice this he does not mediate for himself but a voice speaks out and says take away those clothes from him so it was the voice of a mediator It was a mediator, a lawyer, which is what we have on the throne of God today. And that voice is the same one that spoke to you and I when we were lost, when we was God dealing with us and brought us to himself. And the moment that we actually entered into the spiritual birth canal and God gave birth to our soul. And I mentioned it here last night, I'll mention here again today, that the real real child of God filled with the Holy Ghost, that Christ is the living soul 
soul of a Holy Ghost filled believer. Christ is the living soul of the Holy Ghost filled believer. God breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils and he became a living soul. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and your soul is sealed, God breathes into you. Not just another person, not a sensation, not an emotion, but God breathes into you your portion of his seed life which quickens that seed gene inside of you. Then Christ, as Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, and yet it's not I that live. He said, but Christ that liveth in me. So Christ is our living soul. Now surely you don't believe that everybody that professes Christianity has Christ living in their soul. Christ living in a person's soul will let them murder and lie and cheat and rob and steal and do all kinds of things. There ain't no way. My Jesus is not a thief. Your Jesus is not a liar. Well, praise the Lord. Notice, and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. Now notice this, mediator is giving the protocol now for one who desires to be a recipient of righteousness. Now the person themselves cannot do anything. They cannot buy, they cannot borrow, they cannot beg enough, but it is a gift and it is the voice of the intercessor that is telling them what to do. Praise God for that. Take away the filthy garments from him and unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee and I will clothe thee with the chains of garment. And I said, Let them set a fire mitre upon his head. So they set a fire mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments and the angel of the Lord stood by. Now I want you to notice this is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Adonai Elohim, not just capital L and small letters, but it is Adonai Elohim. Adonai Elohim stood by as he watched this taking place on this priest of God. Now, let's move to the New Testament in Luke chapter 15, verse 21, the story of the prodigal son. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy. Notice how he feels now to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servants, bring forth the best robe. Now remember the symbolism is that when Jesus gives us these three parables that actually go hand in hand together in Luke chapter 15 and every one of them is about the elect and them being redeemed back to where they fall, where they fell from. And a prodigal son, this is not about a boy that people try to use the day of someone that was trying to backslide or coming back to God. It's not a backsider so much coming back to God. It's a seed of God coming back to God. Notice, and what do they do? Here he comes up and he smells like the hog lot where he's taken up residence. No doubt he had mud all over him and he smelled terrible and he absolutely was famished. He hadn't been able to eat very good at all and he looked terrible and yet he began to think when he was back there, I think there's servants in my father's house that have bread to spare. I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against sin against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be 
call thy son. I wonder how the devil fought him on his way back home. I wonder how many thoughts he had in his mind. What am I thinking? There's no way. I brought such shame and reproach upon him. Will he do it? Oh, yes. I can see him sitting there on the front porch. No doubt he set a plate at the table day in and day out. And one day he began to sit there and he looked across the porch and he could see out through there and here come a young man. It looks like my son, but he looks so depleted. It looks like my son, but it certainly doesn't look like he did when he left here. He's ragged, he's worn, he's battered, he's all tired, he's exhausted, he has the visage of sin upon him. But he gets up off the porch, imagine as he stands up and he looks at him and said, it is my son, it is my son. He's on his way back home and the father runs to meet him and he don't grab a whip and go to beating on him and say, you low down sorry outfit, you, you get your hide off of my property, you smell like a hog, you'll bring reproach on me. But you imagine that father as he opened up his arms wide open and he embraced that son and he took the stench upon himself. He must have had mud on his royal robes as it were. Don't you understand what our God did for us when we were lost without him and he come to seek and save that which was lost. He come to redeem back those attributes that was in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. So he must take our stink upon himself. He must take our humiliation upon himself. And then what does he say? Give Donnie the best robe in the house. But he didn't just say that about me. He said it about you, Brother Paul. About you, Brother Rob. About you, sisters. Hallelujah. Bring the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand. And shoes. Notice what a state he was in. Ragged clothes. No ring. No authority. No signet of who he was. And he was barefoot. You know yourself that many of the nations down to the age, whenever they would take slaves and capture them, and one of the ways of humiliation and to make sure that they would not run away was they never give a slave shoes. So he's looking at his boy. He has no identity, no ring, no seal. Amen. He has no shoes. He has ragged garments. But before they're going to celebrate, the father says, take care of my boy first. You think that prodigal son would have felt right sitting down at a big feast of the seven seals and the church ages and the opening of the word? Well, of course not. He had to get washed. He had to get clean. He had to be able to go to the protocol. Notice the father giving the protocol of the approach. It was not the son. Well, I'll do this and I'll do that. I think I can do this. He holds his peace and listens to the voice of his father. My, the father said to the servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. You see, Christian living means taking off the grave clothes and putting on the grace clothes. Glory. I thought somebody would have a spell on that one. Taking off the grave clothes and putting on the grace clothes. 
St. John eleven forty three. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot. Was what? Church clothes? Party clothes? Grave clothes. So he's bound hand and foot with grave clothes. But the Lord Jesus didn't say, now come on, I'm going to your house to eat. But they wanted him to be set free from the grave clothes. You'll never be what God wants you to be as long as you're holding the identity of them old things in your past and them old grave clothes that you wore. You need to lay aside your grave clothes and step out of them and put on grace clothes. Ruth, lay aside your garments of widowhood and put on grace clothes. Well, maybe I'm kind of messed up on this, but my understanding is grace clothes matches Miss Grace. Notice bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto the preachers, loose him and let him go. That's what men of God are supposed to do, help you to get out of them old grave clothes and say you're free. You're free. Get that old death napkin off your face. Get that old oh my, all that off your hands. Get that, get that cigarette smoke off your hand. Get them old dancing worldly shoes off your feet. But don't stop dancing, just put on Holy Ghost shoes. Oh glory! Now what's the resurrected life? I love this in Colossians. Colossians is a, is a little book, but boy is it powerful. Colossians 3.1, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ set us on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things here. Now we're talking about people who've been raised from the dead like Lazarus was raised. Can you imagine? The Bible says that they set a feast for Jesus and many people come, but they come not only to see Jesus, but Lazarus. <laughs> you see, that's the kind of Christianity I personally believe in. The people not only will come to Happy Valley to see Jesus, but they'll come to see his friend, which was dead, raised. In other words, you, 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 me. They're not only coming to see Jesus, but they're coming to see the power of a resurrected Christ and what he has done in our lives. You see, so you imagine them as they come. You know, we've got all kinds of skeptics. It's always been that way. And they would come and say, is that him? It looks like him. How can that be? Somebody told me he was in the grave for three days. Lord have mercy. I never heard such crazy stuff in my life. They tell me they've, they've got some kind of picture of a pillar of fire or something hanging over that guy's head. And they, they've got all kinds of, I've heard them call the skirt church. That we are. Oh yeah, we're asking our Boaz to spread his skirt over us. So that makes our women dress right. Not only our women, but our men as well. <laughs> 
people on the outside and it was rumored all through the town. Hey, they say that miracle working guy's coming up. I heard Lazarus. I, no, there ain't nothing. Why, you know better than that and you thought Facebook was just in this generation. There's always been gossipers. So here they come and say, oh my goodness, is that him? That's him. I know him. I shook his Dear Lord, I didn't realize he'd been dead. Well, that would have scared me to death. Oh, don't worry, he ain't dead now. You see, I was dead, but I ain't dead no more. You were dead, Brother Jim, but you ain't dead no more. Oh, hallelujah. And because of that, I will never die. Not my body. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees, they heard about this too. And the Bible says that they not only wanted to kill Jesus, but they also wanted to kill Lazarus. Ooh. Now, boy, we love bearing the glory, don't we? I'm the man. I'm the man. I prayed for so-and-so and they got, well, I've done this and God heard my prayer and my prayer. I'm this and that and the other. But when they drag out the AK-47s, How many of us still want to say, I'm a believer? Three of you, four of you, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. (laughs) Notice, for ye are. Wow. So I told our young people last night that if I died last night, and y'all was going to have my funeral, Tomorrow night. So everybody comes to the funeral. You're so sad. Well, I think most of you would be. <laughs> There'll be some folks in the message, they ain't never shouted in their life. They'll be shouting when I die. <laughs> and here they hear you come and say, poor Sister Carol, what are we going to do at the church? Oh, Lord, who's going to be our pastor, my kids and my grandkids? Oh, Lord. And when you come up here, I'm sitting up here on the... And you say, ain't that Brother Donnelly? And you say, I'm out of here. I don't believe in ghosts. I thought he was dead. And I get up and say, now I'd like to take the text tonight. I'd like to speak our beloved brother's funeral. You see, if we really have died, then that means there is no moral worldly nature inside of our soul. Is that right? Now Paul says, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, mortify, therefore your members uh-oh, here's the problem. Mortify, make dead, capture. So it's separating you from your members. Which are upon the earth. Nah, my, notice this. Fornication, what? Uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, 
which is idolatry, for which things the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, and which ye also walked some time when you lived in them. But now ye also put off all these. Oh my goodness, so you mean a person that's really in Christ don't do that stuff no more. Can anybody say amen? Now you see, this is why I have a problem with a lot of the modern day preachers is that all the above mentioned, they want to say you're a Christian and can do all of that, but because you're in Christ, God don't see it. What version did you get that out of in the Bible? It's not from God's holy word, friends. If you are born again, you will mortify the deeds of your body. And you might as well accept it and say amen. Your greatest enemy is yourself. It ain't your wife. It ain't your husband. It ain't your pastor. It's you. Look at verse 9. Lie not to one another. Good gracious. You mean some of them Colossian Christians was having a little bit of a problem with lying? Seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on. I love this word. Put on. It sink into new clothes so you have actually put on a new man so the old man is dead we have his funeral and we bury him up here in this watery grave and then we in duo we sink into some new clothes Well, glory, glory, hallelujah. Now, before, it was Elvis. Boy, you can tell I'm old school, right? It was Elvis and ACDC or BCCD or whatever all that stuff is. You know, it was that acid rock. So, yeah, you guys are laughing at me, aren't you? And that was, boy, you jived and you, you know, that's the way humans are. We have to have music in our lives. We have to have things that stir our emotions and feed our emotions and move us as a human being. And what did the world do? The world studied us and knew everybody wouldn't like the same thing. So the devil has a whole variety and assortment of sin. Oh yeah, and every one of you is there. You might as well say amen. But when you got born again and you put on some new clothes, you didn't stop, oh hallelujah, you didn't stop clapping your hands, you didn't stop having emotion, but you centered your emotion on God's word. So now you say, Glory, glory, hallelujah, oh, since I've laid my burdens down. You see, friends, in reality, I'm a black man in a white man's body. (laughs) Glory, glory, hallelujah. Oh, I understand some of you are a classical Christian. Well, I'm sorry, that ain't me, and I do hope there ain't no singing like that in heaven because I'm going to have to be changed if they are. 
always sunk into new clothes. And you see some of your buddies and they say, hey man, I've got this new pill. Wow, you talking about a high. And you say, hey man, I got a new pill. And I ain't never been as high as I am right now. And I'm fixing to go even higher. Is it, is it white dust? Is it ecstasy? Well, you could call it that if you want to, but it's called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's where the old man is dead and you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. It's a fountain of living water. It's a well of eternal life. Once to get my hair cut the other day at Brother Skip's barbershop. We're sitting there talking a little bit, me and him, and a guy come in and sit down. Want to talk to Brother Skip, he's an insurance salesman. So I sat there and talked to him a little bit, sitting right by me. So he looked at me and said, what do you do? I said, I'm a marriage counselor, financial counselor. I specialize in restoration. So I went down through a whole list of stuff. Everything I mentioned, the guy's just getting more warped in his look. I said, in other words, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I have a part of the ministry of reconciliation to bring lost sheep back to the presence of God. Sheep that the devil thought was his until the father got a hold of that seed gene one day and brought them right into his awesome presence and they will never turn back. Verse 10, and you have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him. Wow. Renewed in the knowledge of him. Notice what you're renewed to. Renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So in other words, you're finding out where you come from why you're here and where you're going. Whether there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another here as a disciple. Not just a saved person. I don't want to just be a saved person. I want to be this person. I want to be this person of Colossians 3. If any man have a quarrel against any, you mean saints can quarrel? Even as Christ forgave you, you can go ahead and hold a grudge because you're in Christ and that's okay, don't matter. That's not what Paul said. As Christ forgave you, so also do ye. But what if I don't even ask you? Oh, you answer this simple question for me. Which one of the Roman soldiers asked the Lord Jesus to forgive them? 
Anybody? So the Lord Jesus said, without them asking, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. I love my Lord too much to carry a grudge in my heart against anybody. Praise the Lord. Some of you can carry if you want to, it'll ruin you. I'm telling you right now, it'll ruin your walk with God. It'll make you bitter. It'll grieve the Spirit of God away from you and it'll hurt you worse than the person that wrongs you. Forgive. Forgive. Ask Christ, forgive you. Forgive in Christ's stead. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule, basilio, be king, be king. Let peace, well, brother, sister, if we ever needed this to be king, it's in this hour we're living. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which you're called in one body and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. This should be the goal of every person under the sound of my voice today. Living the crucified life. What about it, Ruth? God's given us an admonition today. What y'all gonna do with this? You're gonna sing at the end of it? Oh, praise the Lord. That was really good, Brother Donnie. Amen. God bless you, Brother Donnie. But I walk out them doors, I'm gonna do what I want to. Or are you listening as Ruth was that day? Revelation 3, 4, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Imagine the Lord Jesus speaking to mortals and saying, you are worthy to walk with me. Wow. And a walking is a conduct of life that is before him well-pleasing in his sight. Revelation 3, 5, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy me gold, tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. You see, in order to be the bride, you've got to have on the right clothes, but you've got to have the right ointment on your eyes which is the ointment of Malachi 4. It's a composition of Malachi 4, Luke 17, 30, Revelation 10, 1 to 7. It's the composition of all that put together and then the bride gets it and anoints her eyes and we were like the blind man when Jesus spit down there in the, in the dirt and he made the spittle and the man, you know, was sent down to there and he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So actually his eyes was washed and he got up saying, I can see, I can see. Now that had been a very rare and odd testimony. 
So you've got a doctor's appointment this week with the eye doctor. So you go back to this ophthalmologist and he says, well, there's nothing really we can do and everything, but we just like to check you every now and then. So you walk in and sit down and you sign the register. And then reception girls say, hey. Ain't that a watch his name's boy? No, I can't be. He was born blind. That's the kind of blindness my father specializes in. And they look at him and say, I believe it is him. He's no longer a Lutheran. He's no longer a church of Christ. He's in the real church of Christ. He's no longer a Pentecostal. That's got to be him. Look at him. He's sitting there. That man had cranked up tight on an eight-day clock. Look at him. He's just sitting there bouncing. Oh, God. Hallelujah. He's trying to, boy, you think children of God, you think the world has a time setting still? Children of God have got so much to praise him about, they have a hard time even acting decent in a doctor's office. Well, glory to God. Hallelujah. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He saved me. He sanctified me. He filled me with the Holy Ghost. He healed me. He raised me up. He healed my daughter. He healed my son. He's done so much for me. I can't hardly sit still from praise and my God. <laughs> Hallelujah. So imagine he walks in and the doctor said, how you doing? Great, how are you today? Well, I guess there's been no change. Oh, but sir, there's been a change. You see, between today and my last appointment, I met somebody. Oh, glory to God. I was this way, amen. But I met him, and now I'm this way. Imagine that doctor coming from around his stuff and saying, what? You're telling me you can see? I can see. I can see. I can see. What, what, what herb did you take? What supplement did you take? It wasn't a supplement. It was a man. Well, they say he's a man. I'm beginning to think he was more than a man. I'm beginning to think he's the almighty. I'm beginning to think that he's the great I am. <laughs> what about it, church? What do you think about Jesus? Who is he to you? Just someone you want to be your co-pilot? He don't want to be your co-pilot. He wants to be your pilot. Listen. We'll pick it up again. Revelation 19, 14. We'll look at this a little bit on Wednesday night. The armies of heaven, the armies which were in heaven, notice armies, plural, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. 
Satan will gather his Protestants and his Catholics. You know, familiar with that quote? Look at it in the seal book. Jesus is gathering his vindication, his saints. And the prophet goes on and says, his word. The word was made flesh in the days of Paul, Arrhenius, Luther, Wesley. People that love not their lives unto their death. Ignatus said, considered to be one of the apostolic fathers. So they take Ignatus and they tie him up and they're going to lead him down to give his life for the cause. And Ignatus says, after years of service to the Lord, Ignatus says, I have just today become a disciple of Christ. Oh my. You see, real disciples love him through the thick and the thin. They trust him when God answers prayer and they trust him when it seems like God slams the door of heaven in your face and God won't say a word. You pray for your baby and God takes your baby. You pray for your wife. You pray for your husband. And God in his counsel takes them anyway. A real believer says, I'm going to trust you. I don't understand why you did this, but I trust you. If this is part of my cross, I will take it up daily and bear it till it sets me free. Let's bow our heads together. Praise the Lord. How many wants to be a better disciple today? Better disciple. We don't want to just talk about the cross of the Lord Jesus and point people to that. But we also want to take up our cross. Whatever that involves. It can be a myriad of explanations really from one individual to the other. But it'll never be too great for you to bear if you'll put your confidence in the Lord Jesus. Jesus says, whoever will not pick up his cross and follow me daily is not worthy to be my disciple. Can't you see what separates the church from the bride? They want the easiest way possible and they'll keep searching for churches and preachers until they find it. Yeah, there's enough variety. They'll find one that's exactly to their taste. You know, God said in the book of Jeremiah, I will give you pastors. You realize you choosing a pastor is not like you going to a grocery store. God picks your pastor for you. I told some of the young people here a couple of services ago, there's been people that sit here in our church has told me they really didn't like my ministry. And I really wasn't their first choice as far as being a pastor. But they came because they felt like God led them. And then after they share for a while, they realized God's choice is right after all. Well, let me just turn it around on you. Ain't too many of you all I handpicked neither. And I don't think it's fair y'all can vote me out. How come I can't vote you all out? 
So you see, when God puts us together, there's so much that'll happen in His will that many of us wouldn't even speak to one another if it wasn't for this Word. We're so different. We, we wouldn't even have nothing hardly compatible. But this Word has brought us together. And together we bear our cross. Together we do what God has called us to do. Don't get your eyes on me. Don't you focus on this man or that man. Look, friends, people don't even understand what a post of duty is. It amazes me how ignorant sometimes that people are. Your post of duty is not me. Your post of duty is not some preacher. Your post of duty is the assembly that God puts you in. Don't get your eyes on this man. Well, if Brother, if Brother Donnie moves to Timbuktu, I've got to follow him. Oh, really? And where'd that come from in the message? Your post of duty is your church, your brothers and sisters, your assembly. Sure, can God move people? Sure, he can. But people are so tied to a preacher. Then if the preacher leaves the word, you're going to leave the word with him? Not me. I'm sticking with my post. And my post ain't this preacher, that preacher, this organ player. There ain't nobody I love here play the organ any better than Harry. But you know what? My tie post ain't my brother Harry Reagan. Brother Larry Ellis is one of the most wonderful piano players, but Brother Larry is not my tie post. Well, come on now. The deacons ain't my tie post. My tie post is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Let's, let's pray if you, if you can. Let's just bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, we desire, Father, to be the type of believer that Colossians 3 is so manifested in our lives. I wonder how many among us today use Colossians 3 as a code book, code chapter of our lives. Is it really important to have that much value? It's a crucified life, a life that embraces both crosses, both yours and ours. Lord Jesus, we so want to be that type of people. We've all got scars and hurts. and We've been through so much stuff together. But Lord, we don't want to focus on our scars. We want to focus on the healer. The deliverer. We can all focus and spend so much time. Oh, this preacher lied to me and this preacher done this and this preacher. And I could tell more stories than probably most of them put together of what preachers have done to me. But that don't change your word. I ain't focusing on what preachers have done to me. I want to focus on what you've done for me. I ain't going to focus on people lied on me and people done that. Why in the world should I waste all my time on that? I want to focus on you, Lord. Help us today, Lord Jesus. Come by this way today, Lord God, I pray. Strengthen us. Sing some There's a voice calling me from an old rugged tree and it whispers Draw closer to me. Leave this world far behind. There are new heights to climb and a new place in me you will find. 
prepare for that. Let's just sing it. Sing it for us, Brother Joel. Create in me, Create in me a clean oh, Let's just worship Him together, shall we? Hallelujah. Oh, oh my God. And renew a right spirit within me. Hallelujah. Sing it with all your heart now. Let's worship Him.
just worship him. Let it be your prayer. Create in me, Lord. A clean, a clean heart. Oh, Lord, oh, my God. And renew a right spirit within me. now so if you have a desire to be the Bible tells us and when the day of Pentecost was fully come we know that's when Peter gave that inaugural sermon to the church maybe for you today you've heard your inauguration message it's a new day for you and in that sermon Peter goes on to say repent and be baptized he also goes on to say that ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost that's a promise that's a direct promise and we know that every word of God has the same power of creation a promise given unto us in this day I'm always amazed during these times when the little guys come and are baptized we always say little sister so-and-so or little brother so-and-so I want to declare today that yes this is a little guy but he's making a big decision a big decision And not only is, is he my son, he's my brother in Christ. And we're taking him into this old watery grave to come up a new creation, as we just heard about today, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, here we are with my youngest son. But Lord, as I've said, he's not just my son, he's my brother. And oh God, your very word tells him has told us today, declared unto us today, if we shall repent, we shall be baptized. There's a promise of your gift, the indwelling of deity in us, O oh God. We've heard about an approach. We've heard about a way to come to you, and this is one of those ways. And O oh God, he's confessed his sins. 
Lord, and now he's being baptized. I pray that you would just envelop his entire being with that Holy Ghost, that precious gift that you've promised you would give unto him. We love you and we thank you for all things. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Zion, based on your confession in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Lord, we are the ones called by your
know you enjoyed being in church this morning. Praise the Lord. Let's just as we go, let's sing that, take up your cross and follow Jesus. As you go this morning, remember the service Wednesday night. Let's just sing this together as we go. Well, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross every day. Don't be ashamed to say that you Yeah.